Welcome to Talking About Cities, the podcast that connects you with leading innovators working to revitalize cities across America. We talk to the thinkers and doers, the researchers and leaders facing the challenges and celebrating the promise of cities today. I'm your host, Carol Coletta of the Kresge Foundation, and today we are talking with Dr. Tim Rennick, who is leading an education miracle at Georgia State University, where students of color and first-generation students are graduating at unprecedented rates. Using predictive analytics, Georgia State is closing the very stubborn achievement gap. Dr. Rennick is Georgia State's Senior Vice President for Student Success. Georgia State's success rate at graduating unlikely students is outstanding. Tell me what you've achieved. Well, uh, we've made some dramatic transformations at Georgia State over the last decade. Uh, you know, about 12, 13 years ago, our graduation rate was hovering around 30%, and we were classic example of achievement gaps. Uh, our white students outperformed our students of color. Our middle and upper income students outperformed our low income students. You know, you could depend on that every semester. That's just the way it would be. And what we've been able to do in the last decade is really turn things around. Overall, we've raised our graduation rates by 22 percentage points, but even bigger increases for underserved populations. So our graduation rates for our African-American students have almost doubled over that time period. For African-American males, they've tripled over that time period. For our Latino students, they've almost tripled over that time period. So what's interesting about the Georgia State story is, one, that these kind of transformations can occur, but two, they occurred not in the expected or at least the conventional fashion. That typically what campus has done in order to address low graduation rates for African-American males is create very targeted programs just for African-American males. What Georgia State has done is very different. We've looked at problems that our student body is facing, addressed them at scale, meaning that we've changed the way the university interacts with all students with regard to the issue. And there we've seen the graduation rates improved by leaps and bounds. And probably our most interesting distinctions over this time period, we no longer have achievement gaps based on race, ethnicity, or income level. For each of the last three years, our black, our Latino, our first generation, and our low-income students have all graduated at or above the rate of the student body overall. So those achievement gaps are gone. And for each of the last five years now, we've conferred more bachelor's degrees to African-American students than any other nonprofit college or university in the United States. That's startling and impressive. How did you do it? What we've done, in essence, is take a hard look at ourselves. It's so easy in the post-secondary world, especially when you're serving students who come to you without the greatest preparation academically, to point fingers, to blame K through 12, not teaching strong enough math and reading skills, to blame our state legislators for not funding us fully uh, in higher education. And clearly there are problems in those areas. Over the last decade, while we're making these gains, our incoming SAT scores dropped by uh, 33 points and our state appropriations dropped by more than $40 million. So those are real issues. But what we've done at Georgia State is really hold up a mirror to ourselves, ask the question, how are we part of the problem? How are we contributing to the fact that, as of 15 years ago, 7 out of 10 students who came to Georgia State were leaving with debt and no degree or credential to show for it? And what we did is become a lot more data savvy. Even as we were losing state appropriations, we invested in data to analyze ourselves, to look at what was tripping up our students, to run pilots and then track data to see what 
interventions were most effective, and then to use the data to help us efficiently scale interventions across the whole student body. We're doing things now that I personally didn't think possible when I took over this position 10 years ago. We're tracking every single Georgia State student. We have over 40,000 undergraduates enrolled every semester, every single undergraduate student every day for about 800 risk factors. We're looking at historical data to determine what trips up students, what kind of mistakes do they make that precede them getting into academic difficulty and dropping out. What are the early warning signs six months, nine months, 12 months before a student drops out? We found about 800 different indices, different indicators that show when a student is beginning to get off track. And now we're tracking every student every day for every one of those 800 risk factors. If one is identified, we intervene within 48 hours. So we're correcting problems when they first emerge rather than when it's too late and the student has already already gone well off path and has one foot out the door as far as dropping out. 800 risk factors, that seems overwhelming. Where do the inputs come from? Well, most of what we're tracking are the kind of data that every university has and tracks on a day-to-day -day basis. We're just finally using these data to empower our students. So we're using really the electronic profile of our students that our student information systems collect each and every day. What courses is a student registered for? What major do they have? What grades are they getting in these courses? What we found, even by this very basic data that, as I say, every college and university across the United States collects on a daily basis, we can advise the students in powerful ways. For instance, we found that for our accounting majors, they need to perform very well in their first math course. The prerequisite rules in our age-old academic policies say a student needs a minimum grade of a C in their introductory math course to be eligible or to meet the prerequisite for taking an introductory accounting course. But when we ran 10 years of historical data, literally hundreds of thousands of student records, we found that the data show that a student really needs closer to a B, B plus in their first math course to have an 80% chance of passing that introductory accounting course. So now, if a student is an accounting major and gets below a B plus in their first math course, an alert goes off and there's an intervention. The idea is let's get the student who wants to be an accounting major math help before they begin taking accounting courses, collecting Ds and Fs, which they can't afford either academically or if they're a low-income student, they can't afford financially either to be using precious aid eligibility for courses that don't advance them closer to the major. You know, we call our whole approach GPS advising, and for us it stands for graduation and progression success, but it's clearly an intentional play on the GPS in your car. And we think the systems work very similarly. You know, in the old days, before GPS in your car, you would make a wrong turn, and if you didn't realize it for 20 or 30 minutes, you were so far off track, it took forever to get back onto your route and get to your destination. Now, with GPS in your car, as soon as you're beginning to make that wrong turn, immediately that voice is saying, recalibrate, recalibrate, and you're usually back on path within a few seconds. And the same is true of our approach to helping our student body, which is mostly low-income and first-generation. In the old days, a student would sign up for the wrong class or underperform in a math course, even though they're a STEM major or an accounting major, and nobody would notice. Nobody would pay any attention. Nobody would intervene. And months later, semesters later, the student had accumulated Ds and Fs and was well off path, and it was almost impossible to get them back on track for graduation. Now, with this approach that Georgia State is using systematically, 
systematically, as soon as a student makes a mistake or, or a wrong turn or puts themselves at academic risk, there's somebody reaching out and saying, oh, do you know, even, yeah, it's great that you got a C, you passed your math course, but do you know other accounting majors who got C's in their first math course didn't do very well in accounting? Here are resources on campus. Here's supplemental instruction. Here's our math center. Why don't you maybe take an additional course in math so you can build up those skills if you really want to be an accounting major? So within 48 hours, we're trying to get the student back on track so that the small mistake will not steamroll and lead to the student dropping out. Who is noticing? Who is intervening? Have you created a massive group of counselors? We've had to do exactly that. We have an office now at Georgia State that is kind of the control center for this whole project we're describing of using predictive analytics that is about a staff of 70 people. Is you know an office that didn't exist six years ago before we launched this platform in August of 2012. So these are the individuals who are trained to monitor the alerts every morning and to reach out to the students with productive, timely, and constructive assistance. You know, it's great to have analytics, and that's a lot of the attention that Georgia State gets because, you know, it is kind of mind-bending to think of tracking 40,000 students a day for 800 risk factors. But the real work, and by far the heavier lift, was not in creating the analytics platform. It was creating the system of assistance for the students once the problems were identified. You know, if these alerts are going off in a vacuum and nobody's paying attention, you might as well not have a system like it in the first place. So what we had to do is build an office of academic advisors who are trained in technology, at least to the point where they are tracking students on a day-to-day -day basis via the platform. Every student at Georgia State is assigned to a particular full-time staff person in this advising center who is tracking them on a day-to-day -day basis. And when an alert goes off, they reach out. If it's a minor issue, the student just signed up for the wrong course, it might be just a phone call or an email that nudges the student and gets them to register for the appropriate course. But if it's a larger issue, like this example I've been using of the accounting major who's struggling in math and needs a substantive intervention, the advisor will call the student in and they'll have a meeting. But you need something productive to suggest to the student as an intervention. So it used to be we didn't know that a third of our introductory accounting students were struggling halfway through the semester. They hadn't done well on early quizzes. They were facing the midterm with the likelihood of getting Ds and Fs. Now that we know about these students a couple weeks into the semester, we've had to devise interventions. We've had to devise ways of constructively offering to the students some kind of mediation that will help. For instance, now uh, over the last five, six years, we've developed a peer tutoring program where students who are successful in a course one semester, we hire to be tutors in the class. Actually, they sit in on the, every session of the class the next semester. And we do that in courses like introductory accounting. So if a student is struggling, they have right in their classroom a peer mentor, a tutor who has gone through the course course recently and can offer them some kind of assistance. So yes, there's a whole complex of systems we've had to develop. I should point out for your listeners, though, that we didn't do this based on some huge grant from a foundation. The nice thing about doing the right thing by students in this space, serving them better, helping them be retained at higher rates and ultimately graduate at higher rates, is those are also the right things to do for campus fiscally. 
So every 1% we increase our retention rate at Georgia State, that's worth about $3 million in continuing tuition and fee revenues just from the fact that the students, rather than dropping out, are staying enrolled and paying tuition and fees to the university. So it's largely through that model that we've reinvested the gains that we've made, reinvested the revenues that come from the gains that we've made into hiring up our staff and our support systems for our students. When you talk to college presidents about the challenges low-income students and first-generation students face, you often wind up talking about social factors that are outside the control of the university. You are talking about factors the university can control. What is the balance of the inside-outside factors that define the biggest challenges your students face? With a student body that is largely low-income, largely first-generation, almost 70% of our undergraduates are non-white, there clearly are a series of challenges they face day-to-day. We understand that our students face issues with food and housing insecurities. They face complex lives at home. Uh, Many of our students come from one-parent households. Many of our students are themselves parents. And all of this adds to the challenges of navigating the complexity of getting a college degree. It's not an easy thing to pull off even under the best of circumstances. So those are all realities. But I guess I have two bits of advice. One is while we have aggressively at Georgia State partnered with organizations, many community-based nonprofits, to try to support our students and provide some of these services once they leave campus, that that's not our main mission. And we've tried to keep a focus on the fact that while we have to be attentive to the needs of our students outside the classroom, that our main mission as a state institution is to educate and hopefully get students credentialed in a way that can be transformative in their lives. So we've put the bulk of our energy in, again, putting the mirror to ourselves and saying, what are we doing that is part of the problem? How can we improve our delivery of courses and academic programs and support for our students? You know, one of the striking examples of this issue is Over the last six years, we've lowered the average time that it takes a Georgia State student to get a bachelor's degree by more than half a semester a student. We haven't lowered this in any way by lowering academic expectations. The academic requirements remain the same in the classroom, but by tracking students with this GPS advising, by nudging them when we see them going off path and getting them back on path again, by proactively giving them advice that then can allow them to make wiser decisions, what has happened is that students are getting through their programs much more efficiently. In point of fact, the difference between the graduating class this year, graduating on average half a semester more quickly, and the graduating class before we launched the GPS advising back in 2012 is a savings of about $15 million in tuition and fees for this year's graduating class alone. So that's one way we can help students in a very constructive way who are coming from low-income and challenged backgrounds is by doing our job as a university more efficiently and giving them more resources to handle that battery that's not working in their car, the child care issues that they're facing. So that's one important observation. The second observation I would make is that the biggest national message that comes from a campus uh, like Georgia State and the story that I've been sharing with you is that it really tells the lie that is certain of our assumptions 
about education. There are so many studies that show that the gaps that begin to exist based on race or income background start in third grade reading or eighth grade math. And some people assume, since those discrepancies in performance can be shown as early as elementary school, that that means that the demographics are destiny. That eighth grade student who doesn't do well in, in math is destined to graduate from high school and then go to college at a lower rate. Or that third grade student who performs poorly in reading scores is highly unlikely to succeed later on and is unlikely to get a college degree. What Georgia State has shown is that a lot of those gaps, while we need to work against them as a society, are correctable. We take students from all academic backgrounds. We admit an incredibly diverse student body, one of the most diverse student bodies in the United States. 60% of our students come in uh, Pell eligible, uh, meaning that they qualify by the federal government as low-income students. And then four years later, they're graduating at exactly the same rate as their middle and upper income counterparts, or the first generation students are graduating at the same rates as the students from families that had previously graduated from college. So what that does in effect is put more pressure on all of us in post-secondary work to say it's not them meaning K through 12, society, and so forth alone, it is also us, and we have a responsibility to change. And if we change, we can make a significant, even transformative difference in the lives of the students we serve. We are talking to Dr. Tim Rennick, Senior Vice President for Student Success and Professor at Georgia State University. Have you had interest from K through 12 leaders in adopting your methods? We've had wide interest in what's going on at Georgia State, exceptional and surprising interest. You know, from the post-secondary sector, we've been visited by, over the last year and a half, over 200 campuses. And we've had campuses, multiple campuses, visit us from South Africa, from New Zealand, from the Netherlands, as well as dozens and dozens of campuses across the United States, trying to say, okay, well, what do these systems look like, and how are they making a difference? We are working with a number of partners in K-12 who are interested in the same data model. You know, if we can make a big difference, especially in closing achievement gaps with our college-level students by identifying problems early on, imagine the benefits that could come if we were identifying some of the issues that begin to emerge in 8th grade or 10th grade in reading, in science, in math classes, and so forth. And what if we intervened in targeted ways in those contexts as well? We're active participant and partner with Achieve Atlanta. Achieve Atlanta is working with uh, all Atlanta public high schools in order to try to find ways, in part to use data, to increase college enrollment and ultimately college success rates. We also have a large and uh, I think pioneering grant with the State Farm Foundation. They made a $14 million gift in 2016 to have Georgia State work in one of the most distressed parts of Metro Atlanta. Southwest DeKalb County has some of the highest unemployment rates uh, uh, and, and some of the highest poverty rates in all of Metro Atlanta. And we've dedicated a program to one of our satellite campuses in that location to try to work with students starting in middle and high school, work with their families, trying to support them, educate them, make them better aware of what it takes, why college is important, but also what it takes to get there. And then a whole suite of both 
scholarship programs and social support programs to help these students navigate what would otherwise be a very difficult road of not only getting through high school but then transitioning and succeeding at the post-secondary level. So there's a lot more that we need to do, but the optimistic spin on that is that for a long time, post-secondary institutions like Georgia State and the K-12, through the public school districts like Atlanta Public Schools and uh, DeKalb County Schools have not coordinated their efforts very well. And what we're seeing now are opportunities to give students a much more holistic and consistent set of support systems. Well, one of the innovations Georgia State's gotten some attention for recently, there was an article in the Harvard uh, Business Review just a few weeks ago, is our launch of an AI-enhanced chatbot a automatic texting platform. What we did is build up over 2,000 answers to questions that are commonly asked by high school students as they transition to college. You know, what does it look like to finish an application? How do I apply for financial aid? What's all this talk about loans, subsidized loans and unsubsidized loans and so forth? All these kind of questions that students have. Part of the problem is that in the high schools, especially underserved high schools, there's not always somebody around to answer these questions. And the students are not yet with us at college, so we're not there to speak to these answers. So what we did is we built up an automatic platform. Students now can go on 24-7 onto their smart devices, and as if they're texting a friend, text Georgia State's mascot, Pounce is the name, so they're, they're actually communicating uh, with Pounce, and ask any question that they'd like about the whole college process. We thought when we launched the platform in the summer of 2016, and again, it's just targeted for incoming students who have questions about going to college, we'd maybe have five or 6,000 questions answered in the first three months. In the first three months, we had over 200,000 questions answered via the platform. The average response time was seven seconds. And we saw an immediate uptick of over 20% in the percent of especially low-income and underserved students who were enrolling at Georgia State for the fall semester to start as freshmen. So, you know, what we need to do is try to leverage the latest technologies, the latest communication platforms, and so forth, in order to begin to serve at scale students, answer the questions they have, provide them the support that, in, in effect, more privileged students have always had. If you went to a well-resourced high school and you had a question about how to finish an application or how to take the SATs, there was always a counselor or a teacher or a parent who could give you an immediate answer. And now, with some of these systems like GPS and the chatbot, students who come from underserved backgrounds maybe don't have a parent or brother or sister who's gone to college and can answer these questions, can get the help and the support they need in a timely fashion. And by leveling the playing field, we found that it's also closed those achievement gaps, and students are succeeding from underserved backgrounds at the same rate as their more privileged uh, counterparts. The work you're doing is so important, and it's breathtaking. There's an idea that seems to be gaining in popularity that suggests everyone doesn't need a college degree, that an associate's degree or technical training is enough for most people that everyone is not cut out for college. How do you respond to that? Cautiously. Uh, and, and, I, and I think the people who make those arguments have to be cautious about them. I mean, it's been observed before, and it's been my experience, that the, uh, individuals are far more likely to make those arguments about other people's sons and daughters than their own. So many of the people who make those arguments still expect their own sons and daughters to go to college. But, uh, you know, the way I respond is the way we've responded at Georgia State repeatedly, which is with the data 
The data has gotten us to the point where we have transformed student outcomes. It is also important in this context. You look nationally at student outcomes. The reality is the bachelor's graduate, the individual who completes the four-year degree, will over his or her lifetime earn about a million dollars more than the individual who only completes a high school diploma. The bachelor's graduate will have much lower unemployment. It will be about a third that of the unemployment rate for the individual who has only the high school diploma. The bachelor's graduate will have better health care, will have longer life expectancy. Their children will be better educated. Their children will have better health care as well. Now, of course, I'm not saying that this is true of each and every individual. What I'm saying is these are the averages if you look overall across the United States. And then you look at particular markets. You know, the city of Atlanta is booming. Lots of people moving here. And the economy is increasingly a technology-based economy. The Atlanta Chamber of Commerce estimates that over the next 15 years, about 80% of the new permanent jobs being created in the Atlanta market will require a minimum of a bachelor's degree. So, you know, under those circumstances, while it's certainly the case that some individuals may be perfectly happy and productive and gainfully employed with less than a college degree, I don't think we want to message universally that a college degree really is not necessary or that important. What we want to message to young people is pursue a college degree with intent and with selectivity. You know, make sure you make the right decisions. Uh, another characteristic of Atlanta right now, because we have a large, low-income minority population in the city, is that uh, you know the Atlanta market is targeted by a lot of for-profit institutions. Uh, many of these for-profit institutions have very high tuition, are very good at getting people to sign documents that commit their financial aid to that institution, and in many cases are very poor at graduating students. Every semester we have dozens and dozens of students transferring into Georgia State who have tens of thousands of dollars of debt and no credit to show for it from being at for-profit institutions. So I, I would say that the message we need to convey is this is a very important decision. It's like buying a house. It's a big commitment when you talk about your education and your educational future. Make the decision wisely. Find institutions that are good fits, that support a pathway that will get you to your destination. If it's a technical college, that's fantastic. But we certainly shouldn't be talking about the unimportance of the bachelor's degree at a time when the U.S. economy is changing to the point where the bachelor's degree is increasingly becoming a minimum standard for many of the well-paying and permanent jobs. Tim, thanks for being our guest on Talking About Cities. Dr. Tim Rennick is Senior Vice President for Student Success and Professor at Georgia State University. And thank you for listening. You can always hear the latest Talking About Cities podcast in the archive of past shows at kresge.org, where you will also find links to learn more about our guest. You can contact us at talkingaboutcities at kresge.org with your comments and questions. I'm Carol Coletta, Senior Fellow of the Kresge Foundation, American Cities Practice. And until next time, let's keep talking about cities.